Hello and welcome to the Sports Bar. This is your host, Jihei Wiley, with a very ridiculous special guest who doesn't think he's special, but I, I love the humbleness in him. Mr. Mike Pereira. Um, I did not know all of these things about you, Mike, by the way. Um, two-time cancer survivor. Ah, yeah, you've dug, you've dug a little bit. Yes, yes. I did. Um, started your officiating career um, in college and then went on to obviously um, – go into the NFL, and now you are with the USFL uh, head of officiating over there. Um, we're also a former VP for the uh, uh, for the NFL as well, correct? Am I, am I right in this? You're uh, little absolutely digging? right, yeah. Um, I love it. I, dude, this is phenomenal because the NFL draft is coming up, and I know you're not really into the draft, but I did want to ask you a few questions about maybe some difficult rookies and um, even some difficult vets, but we'll get to that in a second. Um, my guest, Michael Pereira, um, so, so grateful. We actually met, and I always start try to start this show out with how we met. We met at the 900 Club, my place of employment, um, and that's actually where we're, we are right now, sitting here by the nice little fire. Um, you've never sat, sat in this spot, by the way, I don't think. You know, no, I did. The first time I came here, G, um, I came here to give a speech. Uh, Jacob Ullman that's from right. Fox. It was some uh, charity that he's involved with, West Coast something, and they work with kids mm-hmm. to help them get into athletics and to pay for athletics. And so he asked me if um, I would come and speak. And and I said, sure. I'm, I mean, he's one of my bosses. What am I going to say? No. <laughs> going to say no to your boss? <laughs> uh, so I said, sure. And, and, and knowing that I'm staying in Manhattan Beach, he said, maybe we can do it at the 900 Club. And I said, you know, I've always heard about that. And I said, I've never been there. And so... So you really, know, that was I your said, first time yeah, at 900. It was my first time. So I, I knew, matter of fact, I parked and I got lost trying to find it. I mean, I saw <laughs> is, I saw this sad. bar downstairs, but I didn't think about it. it might be upstairs. I didn't see a sign. And then I ran into somebody on the street um, who also worked for Fox. And I said, hey, Jack, do you know where the 900 Club is? He said, no, I don't know where it is either. So we went on this search. <laughs> and then and then we finally found it and came up and there was this swarm of people. And I, I said to... Uh, uh, Jacob, I said, I want to join here. I want to join this club. And, um, and Dave, at that point, the owner of the club wasn't here, but other people were, and they said, don't worry, we can get you set up. And so then I joined the club and, and I, I love coming down here. Well, we love having you. We love having you here. You're like a breath of fresh air, like the nicest man on the planet. I mean, it's, it's so funny because I do talk to some friends and they're like, oh, well, is he really nice? I'm like, oh, my gosh, you guys have no idea how nice some of these people are. They all think that like 900 is a uh, hoity-toity, like everybody is like just has way too much money is just so privileged and just isn't nice at all. I'm like, you guys don't know real money because people with real money are like the nicest people on the planet. People that have like faux money, the ones that are like nouveau riche or whatever, they're the ones that are like, Oh, polish my glassware. I'm like, okay. I'm like, I'll do it. I don't care. But yeah. You, yeah. I, I wouldn't put myself in that nouveau rich category. No. That's for sure. But I like to be, I'd rather be in the nice guy category. You, you if, are. You if are. I'm in the nice guy category, then that's everything right. I ever wanted to achieve is to be in that category. <laughs> you are. And considering it's so funny. Cause when I saw that you were a member, I was like, Oh my gosh, like he's he's a ref. He has to be like not mean for a living, but like you have to be stern, right? For for a living. I mean, it can't be it couldn't have been easy. And why did you pick this profession? This is like I refed when I was younger, um, for basketball for like a youth league or whatever. One year out the door. I was like, I can never do this. I don't know how people do this for a living. So how do you do this for a living? You know, it's interesting because when people ask me, you know, how did you get involved? I never played football. I mean 
I was a runt. I was the runt of the litter. And, and when I was in uh, high school, my sophomore year, that, you know, I went out for football. I did. And, and the first day there were no pads. There were no nothing. And the first day they put pads on, some guy hit me in the hip with a helmet. And I said, that's it. I'm done. I was shooting free throws in the gym the next day. <laughs> and, and so, but I liked the game. And, um, and my dad was doing some officiating. So when I went to college at Santa Clara, um, eventually a guy reached out to me who uh, was involved with San Jose State Athletics and said, hey, do you want to officiate football? I said, oh, God, no, I don't want to officiate football. He goes, why? I said, because I don't have any interest in it. And, and he was like, but your dad has done some of it. I said, I know, maybe that's why. I mean, I've been to his games. I see him get yelled at. I mean, I, I was it was at a junior college game on the sidelines when he was working. He told me to leave because he was worried after the game that there was that, that the crew could be in trouble, that they might get attacked. So I said, I don't have any, any inkling to thinking about being a football official. He said, well, it's just youth football. It's just kids. And he said, it's in East Palo Alto. I said, I don't care. Don't care. Don't want to do it. I and mean, goes, that, that's even worse, though. I feel like. No, it is. It turns out it is. Yeah, refing yeah. kids. So that's what I did. I refed for, uh, uh, for children. I refed five-year-olds yeah. and these parents are just like, think they're horrible Unfor unfortunately it's the worst so i said nope and then he said you know it's ten dollars a game and you get and you worry three games on sunday it's 30 bucks this is 1970 now i'm aging myself <laughs> and i said 30 bucks cash you know what maybe i will officiate <laughs> So literally, literally, the reason that I got involved in this 52 years ago, wow, 52 years ago was over $30. So I would have beer money at Santa Clara. <laughs> I didn't have any money. All my all my other buddies, they had beer money, and I didn't have I didn't money at all. And and so I started. And and gee, I don't know. It's you just have just to be weird to do this because I loved it the, from the very first really quarter that i worked and i didn't know what i was doing and right. these little kids were running around and parents were yelling at me and for some reason it just kind of clicked and um and i just fell in love with it i and mean it definitely takes a special person like yourself to even want to do this in i think the first place, you, you know gee to me what it takes is it's some it takes somebody that wants to be different it takes somebody that wants to put their ass on the line for kids and and uh and can recognize and be able to be tolerant of, of uh, people that are yelling at you. And if you stick with it for, you know, like three years, you get used to it. But, you know, I tell young officials now who get frustrated, hey, look, at here's the deal. You are doing, when you step out on a court or a field or a pitch or a diamond, you are doing what 99 and 9 tenths of the population don't have the guts to do. You're doing it. And... Um, and and, it, and and to me it hooked me and I, I wouldn't trade a I wouldn't trade a single day of it in my fifty two years. I mean fifty two years. I don't want to age you because I think I that you're a very young think about that. seventy plus year old man. I th I think that you're like I remember when you were selling your celebrating your birthday like a few weeks ago actually and you were you were just like your sister's so sweet and she's talking about you um, you know hitting this mark and I'm like wow, you really are, like, you're my mother's age. Like, you, just, you don't seem, and you both are very young at heart. Like, you're extremely young at heart. I, I think that, 
you you are the epitome of age is just nothing but a number so 52 year career is pretty amazing that yeah. you you stuck with it and wanted to do it and especially to the level that you're doing it yeah right? i think when you're you know when you get lucky enough to and it may sound weird but when you get lucky enough to find your passion um and you can be involved in your passion for 52 years um it makes life so much more enjoyable you know my sister is an artist and she's she's doing terrific work um just for herself and the artist thing and she's energized by that and and i still get i still get energized about officiating and it's my best friends are officials um and that's just the kind of way it is because you become a fraternity because you know each other's frustrations and you're there for the other your, your for fellow official if there's a need arises like you said I, I survived cancer twice um actually both during officiating times and and yet the officials were the ones that were there for me the whole time the whole time and so, so it really is a, a brotherhood it's like you can't even imagine yeah like you can't even imagine and we hurt i mean when we see our brothers who make mistakes we hurt for them and when we see the industry now the way it is when there is such a shortage of officials. Nobody is signing up to officiate, um, and people are quitting left and right because the sportsmanship is so bad. Um, we hurt for our industry too, and we all want to help, but we can only help by by just trying to see if we can change the the feelings of people to respect those that have the courage to put their butts on the line, you know, and. Um, so it's a, it's a tough battle that we're in right now, and it hurts us all. Yeah, I mean, how do you motivate? Because like I said, I mean, one one year and I was done, right? Uh, this was useful. I wouldn't blame so, you. So how do you motivate and how, to, how do you recruit, so to speak, um, you know, that next generation of refs? Because there needs to be another generation, right? Like, you know, nobody lives forever. So No, listen, gee, it's so tough right now. I mean, that's why high schools are playing football games on Thursdays and Saturdays and some – some games are getting canceled because there aren't enough officials. And, wow. and you know, we got to get creative and and see how we can get more young people involved in officiating because the average age of a of an amateur official right now is 54 years old, you know, and, wow. and it's getting older over the last 10 years. That average age has gotten older and older and older. And yet the number of people signing up to officiate is less and less and less over the same 10-year period. So we're going to run out. So how do we, you know, how can we kind of get younger people, you know, our campaign in Sacramento where I live when I'm not in Manhattan beach, our campaign is to get young people, high school kids that played football and are not going to continue to play at junior college or other college, get them, keep them in the game. You know, when all of a sudden they've been playing football for years and then after their senior year, they're out, let's get them involved in the game and let's get them, officiating even at age 17 let's right. get them involved and then i have a foundation for example that you know we give scholarships to veterans returning veterans so when they come back after serving and get into their communities and sometimes feel very lost and disconnected um they no longer have their team they know that which was their their team in the service and so we we pay for all their expenses to become officials in their communities in any sport that they want to. Those types of things that we as officials, if we are concerned about the industry, have to do to get more people involved. No, definitely. That's a great 
I mean, that's great to to do, and that's it's beautiful that you're even attempting to try to, you know, I don't want to say change the face, but like you're trying to, you know, motivate these guys to be a part of, you know, this because you're right. It's like they're the one percent of these guys that want to do the to do officiating, um, it, which I can't I can't imagine is easy, especially at y- a young age. Yeah, gee, the sad part is of this is that the group that is running them out. I mean, the group, the single biggest group that's running them out of the industry are not the players, they're not the coaches, they're the parents. And that's the that's the difficult part here. And I get it because parents are so invested in their kids playing now. Mm-hmm. There's these travel teams. It costs a lot of money, man, to, to get these kids involved in all of this now. And, and they're looking, well, my kid, oh, my kid's going to get a scholarship, you know, to pay – and so, you know, then the, the, the one place to take it out, if it's not take it out on, the one group to take it out on are the officials. If they feel, which most of the time they are right, occasionally they are wrong, but parents think they're always wrong. And the incident just recently of the, of the female umpire that got punched in the eye by a woman who was wearing a T-shirt that said world's greatest mother, um, the, the attacks are getting more and more and more prevalent. I mean, we're reading about them all the time. And to, and to think that these are happening in games where kids are 10, 11, and 12 years old. So what, what like are we teaching our kids, you know, in Little League Baseball where we allow parents to sit there and yell at the umpire when their 10-year-old sons and daughters are sitting in the dugout thinking, well, this must be okay. Yeah, and mom so and dad I'm are doing grow- it, so it's yeah. fine. So we, I don't know. I mean, gee, you're an athlete. You're a former athlete. I don't know how we get this change, but we, we got to figure out a way. So for me, for, for me personally, my mom never complained. So my mom also was a former athlete. She played professional basketball. So she's been through what I, what I went through. So she's sitting there going, don't complain to your coach. Your coach is your coach. Don't complain to the ref. The ref is the ref. I'm like, what if they're wrong? She's like, it doesn't matter. So I grew up in a different, and it's different generations, right? Like there's definitely different generations of yes, sir, no, sir. Yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. I grew up. That's how I grew up. Not every kid's going to grow up like that, which is really tragic. It's the way I think personally it should be. I think kids should grow up with that moral compass of look, dude, like he's, (laughs) he's here and he obviously knows the rules better than you and you're still learning, especially at 11, 12 years old. You know, I mean, I get it. Professionals are professionals and you guys are going to have your quarrels. You're going to have your qualms. But when you're a child, you shouldn't grow up that way. Um, so, yeah, it's definitely on the parents. And that's the the sad part, though, is that society is and I don't want to get into this. Uh, we'll cut it off a little bit. But society has definitely made it OK for them to react that way because it's their because Bobby and Susie are. You know, they're going to be the next LeBron James or they're going to be the next, you know, Diana Taurasi or they're going to be the next, you know, insert athlete here. You know, so I, I don't know how you stop it. I know. And just just like, uh, you know, watching the, the Warriors and the, and the Nuggets play last night, there was a call that there were, the game was in San Francisco. I mean, there was a call that that uh, went against the Warriors. And, I you know, I, it was a iffy call. I mean, I think probably it was a call that didn't need to be made. But the whole arena erupted in refs, you suck. Ref, you yeah, suck. Yeah, that can't be good. Now, now there's, again, again, there's kids there in the in the, those stands. I mean, you look at the, some privileged kid was sitting in the front row courtside. And, and, you know, it's like to hear this just 
you know, just perpetuates this whole thing. And so it, it's, it's, it's tough. It's tough. I, I, I get it stuff, but it's also kind of where we are in society right now that it seems to be okay to disrespect people. Right. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm hoping that they say that things take an upswing, like what, they might go down a little bit, but then they're gradually going to come back up. So I'm hoping that we get back to uh, going back up. Yeah, well, we need we'll and we and we need more. We need more people that want thirty bucks. That need thirty <laughs> bucks. To, <laughs> I mean, let's that make it. Let's money. make it the the economy here. We got a down economy. We need more people who want that thirty bucks. <laughs> I love how lighthearted you just made that. That's great. Um, so I want to. Uh, I mentioned earlier on um, in the show that I wanted to talk about. You know what it's unfortunate that you are in such a negative said space. How have you made it positive other than, you know, these foundations, which are great by the way. And um, I still want you to promo these um, foundations at the end of the, the show, but how do you make it? Um, have there been positives um, when you were in the NFL or were there like uh, more negatives to the positives um, when you were in the NFL and right now um, being for the, the, a brand new league in the USFL. Yeah, it's, um, it once the higher you get the easier it is to be positive about it because your treatment is better so when you're talking about getting into major college football um or certainly professional football a uh, the 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 treatment that you get is better and the money is better i mean what you're doing now in high school football or youth football or youth sports any of those youth sports is just financially it's just not worth it to do but what you what you try to do is you just try to take people and get them to understand the bond that you will develop with this new group of friends that you're doing with and that you're doing this with. And, and sometimes that's not easy also because you have young people that want to get involved in what is traditionally looked at as a good old boys network. You know, when you, when you sign up and say, and you're 20 years old and you're going to join the local high school association here in Southern California, you know, if you're young, you're aggressive and you want you want to see progress and you want to get games and you want to get better games. But some of the old boy networks don't let you get those. And so you have to I've always said we we just have to break down the industry on how we train young people to become officials, you know, in Sacramento. I said we got to stop this nonsense. We're asking asking young people to come to a high school, a Jesuit high school for seven sessions where they sit in the classroom and they listen to somebody get up and tell them about this rule or that rule and that. Yeah, we don't, young people like to get on computers and they like, you know, they like the Zoom sessions and to do things interactively that way and not train the way that they were used to training 52 years ago. Right, when yeah, I you gotta started. change with the times You a gotta bit. change. Yeah. And the industry itself in that respect has had a hard time changing. And then I think we just, we, I, we can't give up on the parents. We just can't give up on the parents. I have proposed in Sacramento and I, it, it's taking me some time to get this through, but I, I like if, if, if you're a parent and you want your kid to play football, great. You want your kid to play baseball, great. You want your kid to play softball, great. Okay, great, that's terrific. But here's the deal, as a parent, you have to go to a class a one-hour class about rules, and then you have to agree to officiate two games. So we got to put you on the field so you can experience what it's like on the field. 
So you don't just sit there on your folding chair and start screaming when you don't know anything about it. And I think the, the results of doing something like that would be really interesting. So I love where your head's at, but what about the economic divide? Because then there's going to be schools where they're not going to be able to do that, where mom is a single parent and works three jobs just so her kid can have all the comforts of whatever. Yeah, so. that's a, a, I mean, a solid point. I mean, most of them are weekend things, and you hope that they can do it on the weekends. Um, uh, and, and I think that's certainly one of the downfalls of it. But, you know, on, on the flip side, that parent works, they get paid just like an official gets paid so they can make some money for, you know, also. And, and I just, Oh, think, you're I suggesting think, that they get paid oh, while yeah. they do this. Oh, okay. oh sure. They okay. get the fee. They okay. get, the, they get okay. the regular fee. And, and I'm like thinking a couple of things could happen. I mean, that parent might get on the field, the same parent that maybe was yelling before he did this may get on the field and say, Holy cow, this is fun. Yeah. This is fun. And like, actually, you know what? And you know what? When my kid quits playing, I'm going to do this, you know, and then or it might be that this official, this this person that gets on the field says, holy crap, this is harder than I thought. Right. I'm not going to yell anymore. I mean, now that I can appreciate how difficult this is, I think it's something that could actually work. But anytime you try to put something together like this, you know, there's a lot of drawbacks, but there's positive coaching alliance there's that organization around the country positive coaching alliance and you know we have to have a a a a a group that's similar to it that's like positive parent you know alliance and teach the parents all of this stuff because it is it's killing it's gonna kill amateur sports and youth sports quite frankly yeah i mean it's i feel like it's always been a parental thing where they have killed the game a little a little bit and they killed the experience for some kids as well and that's why not every single kid even though they could go to college and play ball or could be an official or whatever they get deterred because of their parents i mean that that's that's really unfair. and that's right and that sets the negative mindset in the kid itself but let me just say you know when you get on the court and on the field and when you do it for a while it is so much fun it can be so much fun that you look forward, it's like the thing you look forward to doing. At the end of the day, if you've got a basketball game that you can go referee, or if you've got a volleyball game that you can climb up on the ladder and be the ref one in a volleyball game, it's so much fun. And you just have to push through that negative original um, feeling that you get to get through it, and then it's a a kick in the pan. Like I say, 52 years, 52 years I've been involved in this in some way, shape, or form. And I can honestly say in 52 years, I never regretted getting out of bed to do it. Never did. Never did. And That's, I went through you are the all, rarity. I went through all the levels, and I even had to put up with some of the BS from the coaches and the NFL and the owners and the general managers. But there wasn't a day that when the alarm went off in New York, when I worked with the league, that I wasn't like ready to go to work. Man, you are the rarity. It's like, it's so beautiful to see that uh, somebody actually purely wanted to be there and it wasn't just about them. I mean, obviously I'm sure the money was uh, as you got, got higher and higher. So how can they change that though too? Because obviously that's a huge incentive. That was your major incentive to be a ref was to get beer money, you know, for 30 bucks. So how can we make that incentive 
go higher for some of those those young guys that want to want to rep. Want yeah, to well, I think the, number one, you got to develop a mentoring program so that they've got somebody to work with, um, somebody that is experienced. And in our foundation, Battlefields to Ballfields, we try to get a fellow veteran to be their mentor to take them through the process. That's very important. They can't. We can't leave them alone when they're going through some of the first frustrations that they go through in the first uh, two or three years, and then and then they have to be treated better at the arenas, at the courts, and on the fields. We have to make sure that you know little things, and it doesn't take much. Just make sure that there is a bottle of water and a piece of fruit in the locker room for them, and a locker room for them to to change in. We we just. We just have to do that. And then ultimately, we have to recognize that we have to make the pay fair. But, you know, they're putting they're putting their butts on the line over, you know, when you talk about a three-hour football game or maybe total experience five hours when you, you look at what high school officials are making. It's just not enough. And it's hard because where does the money come from? I mean, school districts don't have a lot of money, although – they're talking about now that California's surplus is $68 billion and uh, in that our governor said that projected that at this time it was going to be like $28 billion and now it's 68. So we're going to be giving money back to the taxpayers, which is great, but we got to give monies back to the school and to athletics so that we can't, we just can't be eliminating athletics and music and all these programs, after school programs that are getting um, eliminated because of the lack of funds. It's just, we, it's just not fair to the kids. No, I, I 100% agree with you. Um, I want to switch gears a little bit, um, and I love the, the positivity that is coming out of this because I never thought that I would ever say that talking to uh, a professional referee, a former referee, that this would be a positive uh, episode. But um, I want to go to the negative a little bit. Um, maybe we won't stay there that that much, but let's at least go there. Um, there is and has been and unfortunately will be cheating in um, in refing. It's it's few and far between, but how do you guys deal with that um, as far as trying to regulate that, as far as trying to – I mean, there is literally every single time that I believe it's uh, Chris Paul and there's another ref that they – they just, for some odd reason, he just doesn't see eye to eye with him, but he has lost every playoff game when this guy is refing. So how do you make sure that something like that is playing on an even playing field, playing like on, you know, I don't want to say cheating, but, you know, that your personal life doesn't co- coincide, your personal feelings don't coincide with the rules. Like if you're looking at a judge, they're like, you know what, there's inconclusive evidence for X, Y, and Z, and it may not be fair, you know, to the other party, but that that's the quote unquote law. How do you keep that? Um, how do you keep that kind of train going? Well, that's a difficult question because you even think of the the flack that came from Joey Crawford in the NBA with um, uh, San Antonio San Antonio Center. Why did I just blank in his name? David Robinson, David Robinson. Um, who actually challenged him to a fight. You know, and you and you're just going. Geez, where do we get here? Look, there's actual cheating, and then there's, you know, then I, I don't know what I would call the subconscious uh, element that that gets into an official's mind. Look, I, I had people ask me, who is the worst coach you have to deal with? You know, who is the worst? Well, I mean, why don't you ask me who is the best? I hate yeah. to identify who is the worst, you know. Well, and, and, in that regard, who was the best? Well, I mean, when when you when you looked at the best, you thought of those like 
believe it or not, Bill Cower that you could converse with all the time, and Bill Belichick, who was great to me um, and who was reasonable, didn't try to work me. Um, but, you know, you you get people that that wear on you. They just do wear. And I had an official call me toward the end of my career at the NFL, and he said, John Gruden crossed the line. And I remember him saying to me when he said, John Gruden crossed the line, and I said, what do you mean? And he said, John Gruden crossed the line. Like physically crossed the line? No, or like... verbally. Okay. And so I said, so what do you expect me to do about it? Right. I mean, I can't, I'm sitting in the office in New York and you're telling me you crossed the line. Did you throw a flag on him? No. Well, if he crossed the line, why didn't you throw a flag on him? Well, I don't want to like get into a situation where, you know, everybody thinks I hate John Gruden and all that stuff. And I go, this is not the point. And you get this thing where I think it needlessly gets to the point where people think, well, this, this rep doesn't like this guy. Um, or this team loses all the time with this rep. I don't, I don't see that as cheating, and I'm not as familiar with the Chris Paul thing. But Chris Paul has a lot of enemies just in the players' roles too. Of course, of you course. Know, who accuse him of being a dirty player? Um, it's difficult now. That versus cheating and corruption is a different story. When you had what hit the NBA with um, Tim McConaughey. Uh, Tim, uh, was it McGonagall? Uh, Don- Donahue. Tim Donahue. That is that the fact that gambling is out there, and the fact now that gambling has been become a part of the game. I mean, it used to be, geez, it wasn't that many years ago that you couldn't, uh, an official couldn't go to Las Vegas. Period. That you couldn't even put an ad on any NFL game, and now we got an NFL team in Vegas, and we've got an NHL team in Vegas, and we'll probably have a Major League Baseball team in Vegas if Oakland doesn't get their stadium situation worked out. That The gambling concern, while I think it's unlikely that it could ever happen, but in the Tim Donahue thing, it did happen. It did happen. So you that that's a bigger concern to me than the individual feeling between a ref and a player. How, how would I handle that if that happened? It happened. I mean, I, we had a player and a, an official getting an argument. It wasn't pretty. And, and the official actually used vulgar language to the player. It's a bit of a double standard. It's kind of like, okay, if the player does it to you, but you can't do it back to them. But I, I just made sure he didn't work a game. You know, I didn't work a game um, with that team for a period of time. Um, if you go back, you're so young, but the New England Patriots started their big march toward their greatness on a ruling in an Oakland Raider game. The yeah, tuck the tuck rule, rule. The tuck rule. And and it was correctly called. It was not a good rule, but it was correctly called. But Walt Coleman was the referee, and he took so much grief for that, even though he never even made the decision, quite frankly. It was made in replay. But he took so much um, guff and and had so many threats that people said, come to me and say, why is it that Walt Coleman hasn't worked a, an Oakland Raider game, you know, in eight years? And I'm like, duh, you think, I, you think I'm going to send him to the Oakland Coliseum to right. work a Raider game after what happened in the New England game? Right. So you, you deal, I mean, you deal with that stuff, but uh, I mean, for the most part, it's few and far between, but you know, Hey, look at players, 
and officials, coaches and officials. I mean, they're, I mean, they're not friends. They're not friends. I mean, they're, I hate to call them enemies, um, but maybe it's close. I mean, you know, you don't look, you look at the officials or the bad guys because anything they do is bad in, you know, in, in, in officiating football, it's a negative. You throw right. a flag, it's a negative. Right. It's never anything good. Nobody ever says anything good about them, but um, it's the nature of the beast. Yeah. I mean, and again, that's why you said it takes that 1% to want to do this job because yeah. they don't, you know, if if 99% of people want to do this job, like then it yeah. probably wouldn't be so um, right. Um, is there any specific experience where you had a positive experience with somebody, um, player, coach i don't care who it was um, their mother i like i don't know like, you know it's i'll tell problem. you what you'll you'll like this story um and it was when i never really realized how big the nfl was until i got into the nfl i mean it was it was huge and my third game of the year my first year was in san francisco and the st louis rams were playing the 49ers and my dad as i said fish, officiated and um he came to the game with his wife. Um, I guess it would have been my stepmom, um, but he came to the game. He lived in Stockton, California. Was hotter than hell, man. It was one of those days in San Francisco that was so brutally hot. And, you know, my dad was a part of everything I did, although we had our ups and downs, and he's been a part of my life's challenge to overcome mediocrity from th some things he said when I was young. Um, when I reached the NFL, he was like unbelievably proud. And um, so I worked this game in the third week of the season and I walked around the stadium before the game and he has season tickets to the 49er game. So he is sitting and standing at his seat. It's not far from the field. And I look up and he's He's got a an handkerchief over his head because it was so hot, and he's looking at me. And gee, I uh, I am a crier, and I get emotional. And when I saw my dad standing there looking at me as I'm walking around the field, I mean, I did. I started to cry, and and I thought to myself, Oh my God, what is the head coach going to think of me when I walks by me and here's this guy that has tears like coming down his eyes so anyways um the game went on and about five minutes ago in the second quarter it was in a, t a television break and so i'm just standing there out on the field and the pa announcer said would johnny gainza report to the first aid station behind section 328 johnny gainza is my dad's best friend johnny gainza came to the game and johnny's wife with my dad and his wife and 328 was the section my dad was in. So I walked over and looked at my dad's seats and it was empty. They were empty. All four of them were empty. The, well, Johnny was sitting in another area. Oh, gotcha. Okay. So the two seats were empty. I mean, I thought, you know how your mind works. I thought, oh my God, he saw me officiate in the NFL and he had a heart attack. It's, I said, I just, I had to just, that's just what the first thing that struck me. Right. And so... At the two-minute warning, I went to Mike Carey, who was my referee, and I said, Mike, they made an announcement about this. And and I said, and I, I'm sure my dad must have, and, and Mike Carey said, hang in there. When the half ends, they'll know. 
they'll know what's going on. And so the two-minute warning came. I'm at the at the halftime came, and I walked off the field with Mike Carey, and he went to the security guy and said, Mike Hurden, and the guy goes, the security guy goes, put his hand out. He said, I know all about it. I mean, I'm thinking, holy crap, he knows all about this stuff. And he goes, here's the deal. Your stepmom had some nachos before the game, and she got a little bit of a heat stroke. So they had to take her to the hospital. And so your dad is at the hospital with your stepmom, and he is really pissed off. And I'm like, and I'm going, and, and he goes, and here's the number. We're going to call it. So just so you know, so you know I'm telling the truth. So he calls the number from the locker room, and my my dad my dad said, "I will." He never even hardly said hello. I will never bring her to another game. <laughs> and I thought, "Holy crap! This league is big." Where they would have all of that worked out in a short period of time, to where he would know what hospital my dad's at, what the phone number is, and have him standing by a phone waiting for me to call. And uh, I mean, the NFL is just like huge. It's just immense. And it's just, it's an incredible league. And that's like, was just one demonstration of how big it is. That's crazy. That is a wild story. And and of course you're thinking the worst, right? Like, you know, something. I thought he was dead. Yeah. Yeah. You're totally thinking the worst in that one, in that, in that instance. Well, I'm glad that he wasn't. (laughs) I'm glad it ended up being a really funny story because I'm thinking the worst too. When you when you said that, I know, oh, no, I like know. maybe he got a heat stroke and maybe he like got a heart attack or he choked on something. Well, or... when I got into the league, when they finally called me, because through the process of getting into it, you go through all this stuff. And he was like, I had my mail from the NFL coming to where my dad and I had a shoe store, and he would open the mail, even if to me from the NFL, he'd open it. And so he was so into it. And and when I actually got the call, um, that I was in, they told me don't tell anybody. And I said, don't tell anybody. Can I tell my dad? I mean, that I'm now an official in the NFL. They said, yeah, you can call your dad. So I called the golf course that he was playing golf at or right. going to play golf with in at, in Stockton. And the head pro answered. I said, Felix, is, is Mike Perr, is my dad there yet? And he goes, I haven't seen him yet. I said, okay, when he comes, call me. Have him call me. Everything's okay. But um, So he calls, and I said, dad, I got in. And he goes, you got in what? I go, Dad, Dad, I got in the NFL. He he didn't respond on the phone. He didn't say anything. And so I am like crying. Yeah, of course. Because in my eyes, I finally achieved something that he could be a proud of. And so he like was silent for 20 seconds. And then he said to me, he said, well, there's just one thing I have to say, son. Never really called me son, but there's just one thing I have to say, son. And now I'm bawling, really, even though he doesn't know it, I'm bawling because I know that the same guy that told me I wasn't worth a quarter it took to buy a Coke when I was a baseball player at age 13 um, was now proud of me. I know that's from crying. So finally, after another 20 second delay, he said into the phone, just don't screw the 49ers. <laughs> Oh, wow. And he hung up the phone. 
Wow. And that was it. And then when it. I then his... when when I saw him later that night, he said to me, he said, I want you to know, he said, I walked right from that phone right to the tee with all my buddies, put my ball in the tee, and he said, I hit the longest drive I have hit in my entire life. And that was his way of how, telling me. How crazy is that the different generations have this I, I watch Frasier over and over. By the way, it's like a sickness. My boyfriend thinks it's like weird. He's like, why do you watch the same show over and over? I'm like, I can't, I don't, I can't explain it, but I love it. And the um, father character is, he can't express emotion. Mm-hmm. And that's your father's way of expressing emotion. Yeah. Right? It's just like, by, yeah. like I'm going to hit this T so hard. So I'm yeah. so proud of my kid. Like yeah. he just, you know, accomplished something so great. But it's so interesting how far we've come that, like, you can actually yeah. you can sit there and express emotion or right. like that, right? Right. That is incredible. On that note, I'm going to end this because that it doesn't get better than that, I think, when you can actually have your parent be proud of you and your parent just, you know, it, yeah, in you their know, own way. It's, it, is, it is true. I mean, I went to work for the NFL and in a, I mean, the top position in officiating the NFL, and he would come back. And he was like in his 80s, you know, in the, and, and he would, geez, he would run with me every night. I mean, we go out and eat and start, I mean, he, here's this 80 year old guy going crazy and everybody would come to me in the office. God, your dad's amazing. How can he, <laughs> how can he stay up and go out and have dinner like that? How can, how can he do it night after night? And I said, well, you know how he can do it? Go into my office right now. And they'd walk into my office and he'd be knocked out <laughs> sleeping. <laughs> he'd sleep the whole day in my office. But I, I, it was. It, at times it was tough and, you know, and there are things that he lived his life uh, in a way that um, in in some ways that I wouldn't want to live mine. But there were also good things. And, uh, you know, you uh, you end up missing them a lot more after you lose them. Yeah. You know? And I lost I've lost them both, obviously, as old as I am. And um, and uh, and I'm grateful I mean, I, I like thinking, you mentioned it earlier, I like to think that they produced two pretty good kids and myself and my sister who was here um, for dinner the other day. I love your day. sister. Yeah, she, she loves you too. Uh, she's the best. She's such a sweetheart. Uh, you got, Yeah, though they did. They raised two fabulous kids. Um, I would love to go and see her exhibits too. If she's like she knows she's, she's, what she's working on now is she's working on a piece to hang in the house here in uh, Manhattan Beach. I love of, that, uh, yeah. She draws characters. She does. She does some amazing stuff. And you know, she doesn't do it really for the money. She does it for her. She sells some of her stuff in Stockton. It's a lot of French overtones to you know okay. to her to her work. And uh, she's great. I love she's that. Great. I love that. No, that's amazing. I I boyfriend's also an artist. He does um, uh, acrylic like oil paints. Um, but I just, I love going to seeing stuff like that. This is the eclectic side, I guess, uh, in, in all of us, right. That we want to go and see because art and art is subjective and it's, but it's beautiful. Right. So I would love to go and see some of her stuff. Yeah. Um, especially when well, she, when we, she gets this done and we hang it on the walls, we'll have you over. Yeah. So you oh my gosh. That'd be so much like. fun. I'd love that. And you guys, so you guys are in, oh, I do want to, however, talk about Manhattan beach because I am a local. I've not born but raised here i've lived here since i was three years old um i moved away but this is always going to be home i never ever want to leave here ever again because i've lived other in other states and did not have as great of a time um this will always be home so what makes this because you have like embraced the south bay specifically manhattan beach and i know it was kind of forced on you they were like okay we're going to get you a house here so when you come to commute from stockton you have a place to stay whatever 
they couldn't have picked a better spot for you because Porto is awesome um, where you live. I mean, honestly, gee, I mean, I didn't, I'm not an LA person. I mean, I haven't, I, if, if anybody were to ask me, what do you think LA? Ugh. I, I just can't. Well, I just, you're from Stockton, not, California. I, well, Sacramento left. now, but oh, yeah. I grew up in Stockton. Yeah. Um, but also, I had never experienced the beach. I mean, really? when I worked for when I worked for the league, um, I mean, when I worked for Fox, when I first started out, I would come down here, and I would stay at the Beverly Wilshire, which is by the studio, right there in the heart of Beverly Hills. It's right. just not me. I mean, I, I didn't. I mean, I didn't enjoy that. I really didn't enjoy that. And then when the pandemic hit and then I had to work from LA and no longer travel with the crew, right. then they let me out to look at places. And I found this place here. And, uh, it, if, if you, my life every summer, I was born in April. So my first June, though so I'm two months old, I went to Santa Cruz, the beach oh, with yeah. my parents. Cause we'd go every summer, a big group of people from Stockton would go every summer. So I went every summer to Santa Cruz through my freshman year in college. And so I'm a, I'm an ocean person. I'm a beach person. And, um, so all of a sudden I find this place, this place, this Manhattan beach, and it just like fits me, you know, it's just that, and I, hey, listen, I am so lucky. I'm so blessed that you know, I work for this organization that would actually put me in a place like this where I can wake up in the morning and go sit on my balcony deck. I call it a balcony deck <laughs> it's a because it's not big enough to be a balcony and not big enough to be a deck. So I call it a balcony deck I love and it. have a cup of coffee and look out in the water or have a glass of wine before I go to bed and listen yeah, to, the, to the water. So yeah. I, it's, you know, I feel like at age, uh, 72 you said it that a young I, young young yeah, young young I, 72 that i just i just right now have a perspective um that i was really ready to have of this type of lifestyle in a beach community you know and um so i yeah i every day that i'm down here i'm enjoying it i mean you should it's beautiful out here it's our little slice of heaven um that is for sure it's funny too because i talk to locals all the time and they're just like yeah remember when there was nobody here i'm like i know so it's just it, it is beautiful well i will it say i nice. haven't been here now because it was usually football for me it was football basically middle of august or first of september mm -hmm. until through january um i haven't been here in june and july and and then when i was here a year ago for a celebration of life for a friend of mine whose son died I said, well, I'm going to go by that. Oh, my <laughs> Lord, it was busy. Yeah. Um, Summer's another, another. Uh, yeah, piece. it was like a, <laughs> a, a gazillion people, but still. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. No, summer, you're, you're in for a treat for summer. It is definitely a lot more crowded uh, in the summertime, but it'll still be a lot of fun. We'll have to, we'll have to bring you down to six man for that one yeah we'll i'm gonna do i'll do the volleyball yeah, thing it'll be know. it'll be fun we'll take you to six man and i'll take you to hermosa you and your wife take you maybe to hermosa. you know what maybe they'll need a beach referee that i can that, oh uh, my gosh yes. i can i can i can stand by the the baseline there and rules on <laughs> ins and outs call that would be awesome well guys this is g hey wiley with the sports bar um plug your uh, charities again yeah battlefields to ball fields is the name of our organization that uh, my wife and I basically started, and we give scholarships to veterans and now actives to become officials. We pay for all the upfront costs and pay the cost for three years. Um, 
Um, we just feel like that some of our veterans come back and they, they were part of a team and then they come back in their communities, they're isolated and they have a harder time fitting back into the communities. And so this gets them involved as a leader again and as a role model, working with kids and working with fellow officials. And we've now scholarshiped over 500 people around the country, men, women, all sports. The only one I haven't figured out, I had one that came to me and said, I want to be an MMA rep. Okay, I haven't quite figured that out yet, but um, but, I, but I will get there. I was about to say, I'm like, if anybody can do it, it's going to be you, Mike. So, um, uh, again, uh, this is my prayer. Like, what a lovely almost hour of talking to you. I, I mean, I, I can sit down and talk to you for days, but uh, <laughs> what a wonderful time to just sit here and talk to you guys. Thank you so much for listening to Sports Bar, for listening to my conversation with Mike Pereira. Um, go USFL. There we go, baby. <laughs> and we outie. Deuces. Deuces.